Thanks for listening to CarCast on Podcast One. Hey guys, uh, fun car cast today. We're going to talk with our friend Bud Brutzman, uh, a super producer in the automotive space. He did Overhauling and uh, and Rides and lots of good shows. He's got a new show coming out on Discovery Plus um, that you are going to dig. It is going to be kind of fun. It's kind of a one-off miniseries, four-part miniseries uh, that is going to feature, let's just say, some Back to the Future memorabilia. Um, it'll be fun. But uh, before we get started, just a friend, uh, a word from our friends at Dodge. You know, Dodge was ranked number one for initial quality and best driver appeal for mass market brands by J.D. Power. It's the first U.S. brand ever to be ranked number one in initial quality and appeal in the same year. So check it out. Go to your local Dodge dealer or visit Dodge.com today, today to schedule a test drive. Welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the Motorator DeAndre, with Bill Goldberg. How are you, buddy? Getting better by the day. <laughs> yeah? Are you getting some weather, or are you guys done with weather? <laughs> oh, we're getting good weather. It's going to be 82 today. <laughs> That's good. It's, un- it's unbelievable. I, I don't know what happened, but on the way here, it started to rain. So uh, in Southern California, That's, a, we're getting that's a apocalyptic of, in California. We're getting a little bit of rain. And a lot of times we're like, yeah, it's nice. We could use a little bit of rain. But everything ends in some sort of disaster, so I couldn't tell you. Now it's going to be mudslides, flooding. I have no idea what, because it's going to rain for a few days. But anyway, for now, it's kind of nice. I, I know Sean is over at the other shop uh, painting the BRE ro- uh, uh, BRE five ten, and I don't think he likes the rain. <laughs> I don't. Th- I wouldn't think so. No. <laughs> Nothing dries. There's moisture and and uh, and and cold and you know, so not not his best. Uh, not his best day, but getting it done. You know, uh, we've got a few things going on uh, on the show today. We've got our buddy Bud Brutzman calling in or Zooming in or whatever the technology is we use today. But uh, I kind of wanted to just follow up quickly on a story we were talking about last week. We were talking about Rimac, the electric car, you know, supercar company. And, you know, Porsche had a stake in the company. So VW Group, which owns Porsche, Bugatti, you know, uh, Lamborghini, uh, you know, uh, Audi, they invested in Rimac through the Porsche arm. So Porsche has – it was like a 15.5% stake in the company, and they were talking about it more of an investment in the company, you know – Whatever, $100 million, $180 million, whatever that ended up being. But the guys from RIMAC kept saying, yeah, but we're still going to remain independent. We have other partnerships, you know, whatever. So anyway, Porsche made their investment. They increased their percentage from 155 to 24%. Good, right? Good money for RIMAC, great partnership, maybe some tech transfer, you know, some things going on there. They can still work with their other partners. You know, but we kept talking about them, Rimac, buying Bugatti from the VW group. But we said, well, (laughs) they're not going to spend the money to buy Bugatti. So VW's pitch was, hey, we'll give you Bugatti, but we want 49% of your company. So it sounded like the deal was done, but the Rimac guy's like, I can't give you a controlling stake of my company, right? You know, and by the way, I don't know if that meant... 49% total 
or 49% on top of the 24% Porsche owns through, right? Because now nobody knows except them. Right. So from what I understand, the Bugatti Rimac deal is not done. Okay. But Porsche's investment in the company is done. So Porsche does have their, their 24% stake. Bugatti is still an independent company. I don't, dislike the idea but this is the weird business goings on that happens behind the scenes that makes everything a a pain in the butt just Uh, a high level chess game it is but knowing that it was like i could see bugatti's engineering bugatti's aerodynamic aerodynamics engineers uh you know those guys weighing in on Rimac and Rimac taking their electric drivetrain, which is incredibly powerful, and weighing in on on Bugatti, right? And getting some combination. I'm not saying all the cars have to be electric, but there's hybrid versions like Koenigsegg has been doing. Uh, I mean, it gets their foot in the door with an established product. Yeah, and it, it seems pretty, you know, because the, the Bugatti Chiron Pure Sport that I drove uh, recently, as we talked about, the, what makes that car as incredible as it is, is you get into it and it's as smooth and quiet and luxurious as anything on the road, any luxury high-end car on the road. And then it's just batshit crazy fast. At warp speed, yeah. Right. And, you know, we can get into a race car, you know, like a Senna and also be fast, but also, that's meant to be very lightweight and no sound deadening, and you hear every little pebble pinging off the carbon fiber, and it, the seats are a little uncomfortable, and everything's a little rough. I like how you yeah. say that. They're a little uncomfortable. <laughs> They're a little uncomfortable. I don't know. Weighing One of them is, it at 153 pounds. It was jamming yes. into my kidney. But it, I'm not saying Bugatti's better. I'm saying Senna did something different. McLaren did something different with it, and they made this crazy race car, which is super fun. Completely apples to oranges. But Bugatti's ability to make a car as refined and docile as it is and then be as crazy fast as it is when you lean onto it, that's the that's probably the biggest achievement. You know, as they as the guy told me, he was like, Yeah, when we were getting into Veyron, the boss said I want a 200-mile-an-hour car that I can take the wife to the opera in later that same day and be as comfortable of a of a luxury car, not just a sports car or supercar. Um, I don't know. It seems kind of like an interesting partnership. Between- so when you, dro- when you drove the – but when you drove the when- – as Gage walks by, sorry about that. When you drove the McLaren GT um, – how was the interior compared to the other McLarens? Was it more luxurious? Because to me, they were kind of going for something similar to what the high-end Bugattis offer, right? A very luxurious ride, roomy inside, you know, a little more plush than the others. Yeah, the better I, package. I, I would say the McLaren GT did have – a little bit more of the high-end sports car interior. You can tell they're going after like Porsche 911 for 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 something like that. Um, 
you know, but the 720S has kind of a, a, a sparse interior with a lot of Alcantara on the on the dash and stuff. And the GT was a little was a little different. The GT had uh, more more leather, a little more soft touch going on, and uh, you could see it in in the door panels. You can see it, uh, you know, ar- around the instrument cluster and things like that. So, yeah, I I don't know that it was quite what. Bugatti is doing, but Bugatti is interior is meant to be very clean as well. We talked about yeah. no infotainment system, no screen stuck up on the dash, nothing you're going to look into that car in 20 years from now and go, oh, remember when we were using touchscreens? Boy, were we idiots. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know. Um, I'm just trying to find somebody, comp- I mean, you can't really compare with, with the Bugatti by any stretch, but finding a manufacturer that's trying to do something similar you know, at a tenth of the cost. Yeah, you know that's that's a good question. Like, who has? Um, I mean, it, it's tough to tell. I it, we, you maybe have to look a little at at what a Koenigsegg may be doing, or or because uh, I haven't really been in the. I don't. I haven't driven the Koenigsegg. I haven't been in it. I think I've like been in it at at you know like I went to the private viewing of an RM auction. It's like, hey, we've got the the Agera or whatever it's called, I think it is for the Kona Zag. And he goes, check out the way the door opens, go ahead and sit in it. And, but I couldn't tell you, like, can you hear all the noise, you know, when you're driving, do you get all that little, you know, the pebbles and everything like you do in the Senna or is it got more of the sound ending? How about the Pagani? You've been in one of those. Um, I, I would say that compares as far as like going high end, luxurious, opulent, interior yeah but it's still much more of a sports car it, interior than it does but and and the bugatti and uh, i'm sorry pagani has like they often do like a raw linkage with metal and and yeah. and, and a lot of exposed carbon and stuff so i i don't know I, I i couldn't really say for sure but you know i i when i wrote up my description you know like on social media my immediate thought was as refined as a Bentley, but as as crazy as anything else out there, right? That was yeah. my initial thought. Um, and obviously, there was a relationship there, right? Bentley is also part of VW Group. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I was like, well, not exactly, but but yes. You know, it didn't have like heated and cooled seats and all the squishy stuff and the bits and, you know. But the point is, is it was incredibly smooth for a car that had the capabilities that it had. Definitely smoother and more comfortable than anything out there. And I was just kind of thinking, uh, without ever driving the Rimac, is that is not easy to do and achieve those performance numbers that they're doing. So oh, yeah. if if Bugatti could share some of that with Rimac and and Rimac can share some of their electric drivetrain. You know, but you're talking about a car company that's only sold, I don't know, a few hundred cars, you know, in in the way of Rimac. You know, and the Bugatti Chiron is something like five hundred models are gonna be made, mm. right? Like But it's exciting. It's it's it is kind of it is kind of exciting to see uh where that's going. Um Anyway, <laughs> I think we touched on uh maybe when Alistair was here we touched on because it's all guessing now, you know. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like we, you and I both drove Senna. We both drove four GT. You know, we like four GT, but four GT is a little raw as well. You know, a lot of a lot of exposed carbon and and yeah. and stuff. You know, um, 
I was at uh, I was at Galpinado Sports and they had a client's black all black GT. Um, they added like some some orange vinyl to it to give it a little splash of color, and they were doing a full paint protection wrap on it, and because they've done a bunch of these new GTs. They were very particular. They said, oh, we use the wrap here and this location and this location. And then on part of the side grills, we make a little like mesh grill. And we find that the mesh grill really kind of helps the the inner like scallop in the door, you know. And so the with the paint protection does some, but they're like, we add this little mesh grill. And, it, you know, it has a good look, but it actually is functional. It's like, again, it's just time and experience, experience on the job going, hey, you know, how do you protect these cars? How do you? You know, and that's kind of the thought behind, uh, you know, Bugatti's experience coming in to a company like Rimac is, mm-hmm. you know, you you had your TRX wrapped. That was the first TRX that they wrapped probably, but, uh, you know, with the paint protection film. But they've done enough vehicles to go, we, we, we have a pretty good understanding of what works Template and what doesn't City. work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, let's get uh, let's get Bud let's get Bud Brutzman in, in here. Definitely, Bud. Welcome to the show, Bud Brutzman, uh, a longtime friend of ours, a producer, director, filmmaker, TV maker, overhauling, living the low life. Uh, uh, m- so many shows, all the uh, basically invented car shows as we know it now. Um, <laughs> I like that. Uh, History is getting better. That's cool. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, all around pain in the ass. One of our favorite pain in the ass, the guys out there in the, in the, in the business today. Um, uh, <laughs> this is going to be, this is scary for me because you guys are le- legitimately, two of my closest friends in the industry and will follow me whenever I do dumb shit. I mean, if I'm building a garage or I'm doing this, it's always involving you too. So I got to be careful because I'm, I'm actually here to, to work on and promote a really big show I have, but we're going to get off on tangents where we're just going to get canceled or banned. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of doing uh, crazy stuff, not dumb stuff, exciting stuff. Um, but in addition to being this uh, super producer, you are into and have been for a long time, uh, off-road racing, done a lot with Ford, done a lot in Baja, uh, uh, Ford Raptor, um, uh, a lot of the development stuff. Like we were testing Ford F-150, we were testing Raptor. You were one of the guys out there that that drove with them and filmed with them uh, and, and during testing of these vehicles. Um, tell me about the Bronco. I You guys were out recently with the actual not bronco sport you had new bronco and you were uh you were you were off-road a little were well you- the so the the bronco i was involved with all the raptor development team for years right so and and the f-150 ecoboost the bronco ended up obviously is is a uh, was a product that they launched at the baja 1000 recently down in uh, down in mexico so it ran i was not on the development team for that uh that happened to be all my you know all my close friends you know andrew Hendricks and and brad lovell Johnny Campbell and Cameron Steele actually did that wrap the uh, Bronco R race team. They were part of the Bronco R race team, which I was not on, um, which I, I can tell you, I'm kind of happy though. Cause here's what happens in these development teams. And we did, I did it with the F one fifty. 
uh, EcoBoost, and I did it. Is they usually? It's funny. It's not. It's not as glamorous as people think. I actually. Uh, <clears throat> I remember. <laughs> <What>? I mean, <laughs> no, and I'll tell you why. I gave. Uh, it's funny. So the year that I won the Baja 1000, I was going to come back and try to uh, you know compete for my second championship, and I gave up my seat because Ford called me early on and said, "Hey, we uh, you know you just won the Baja 1000. We want you to race this new development project we're coming out with." And this was like early on in the year, right? And it's funny. And this is not a and I love Ford. If you're listening, I apologize. This is not a bad thing. It just happens to be what it is, right? So and when I won. We were in a you know a, a purpose built race car that we're doing a hundred miles an hour in and just bounce into the desert and it's just it's crazy it's a race race. So I I, I call my sponsor BF Goodrich and I tell him, uh, you know like in, in the in the most obnoxious bravado way I can it's like you know Ford called me and uh, yeah because I think <laughs> I'm, you know <laughs> at that point I think I'm Carol Shelby or Ken Miles or something right right sure. Ford calls me and uh, they want me to race their new development project so I'm out on, on the team this year and they're like are you sure you want to do that I'm like yeah you know it's, Ford doesn't really call that often because uh, you, you know you just get this uh, you're you're on a factory back team and you're yeah. gonna go racing like okay so. <clears throat> we have we have meetings, we get logistic planning, we do our chase teams, and then I think it was by like July or August, we start having conversations about the vehicle and the race vehicle and what we're doing. And it ended up being, I, I don't know, you're, they're going to hate me for this, but it, it, what it ended up being was a, uh, it, it has, so in Mexico, we have classes, right? There's trophy truck, trophy truck light, there's all these different classes. And so we entered a truck into the stock class and we were racing, really not a truck, but we we're racing a motor, right? And the motor was the Ford EcoBoost motor. Sure, yeah. Yeah, the 3.6 twin turbo motor, right? So we're in class two, but Ford's mindset was, okay, this year we're going to race a stock F-150, all aluminum bodies. So we introduced the aluminum body and we're introducing, and we want to see how the 3.6 twin turbo does. And I'm like, and so I literally just got out of a race car and you're going to put me in a stock truck like oh god this was uh, this it was agony by the way because you're in a stock vehicle in the middle of the toughest race in the world yeah, going yeah. 25 <laughs> miles an hour and i sat in the car literally i sat in the car and i made the windshields out of it and i'm freezing my ass off going 25 miles an hour <laughs> and then because so here's why here's why the development projects are not fun right because a you don't want to let anybody down, right? So, and, and that's that's hard for guys like Bill and I, where they're just complete jackasses behind the wheel. So you don't <laughs> want to let anybody down. So you just can't have like you can't be yourself. You got Ford executives, Ford engineers. <clears throat> there's PR teams, camera crews following you, and everybody's waiting you at pit stops. And they're also telling you because this was a big problem at that point because we brought one and it got stopped at the border. They're also telling you. We don't have a replacement parts. These are all prototype parts. It happened to us on a Raptor too. So yeah. the engine type is prototype and there's a red button on the dash and everything's prototype. There's no replacement parts. Don't break anything. It's an experimental $3 million vehicle. So you're saying I can't slide this around a quarter? Oh God, no, no, don't, don't do that. You know, so I'm not really racing. I'm just a test mule at that point. And I can't, it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The worst race of my life. I'm not even joking. And then to, to top it off, I'll, I'll stop talking. Is it my team won <laughs> again? My other team, my BF Goodrich team <laughs> won it again, right? They backed up the championship and I lost. I'm like, ah, it was awful. So yeah, that was uh, right. But you can't, you can't break the vehicle and you have to finish it because 
Ford already has these ideas of like a huge marketing campaign, an ad campaign going, hey, oh, yeah. we secretly put the F-150 at Baja. Look how well it did. And it was, it's so badass. The aluminum body held up. The EcoBoost is awesome. If you were oh, upside down in a ditch like a turtle on its back, they'd be like, ah, you just screwed us. Not out of this race, but out of the millions of dollars in our marketing campaign. Yeah, I don't like the pressure. I'd rather just be in a race car and wad it up going as fast <laughs> as I can. It's like, you know, it's it's crash or win. So, but uh, it, the whole long and short is I wasn't involved with the, the Bronco development. That thing is, you know, I we were involved on the score side. So we obviously sat down with Ford, made a deal. They became the official truck of score. Uh, we did a bunch of launches down there. We filmed a bunch of stuff for not only uh, the 2020, but the 20, uh, the 2019 launch of the Raptor or the uh, uh, Bronco R, but also the 2020. So anyhow, enough of that. I, I like to race. It's kind of fun, but I like to go fast. Not, not. <laughs> so development isn't what. Here's, I'm not even joking. Development's not what it's cracked up to be. I did the same thing, and when we, we we raced the Raptor, it's like I raced the number one Raptor with a six two motor. Motor. We had no replacement parts, stock everything. As like, oh, this is good. And I and but you want to go fast because that six two motor was pretty robust, and I I was doing like a hundred and hundred and three hundred and five through Laguna Salada Dry Lake bed scared out of my mind I'm like i'm gonna hit something this is gonna end this raptor's never going anywhere but it's cool to see him around because you're involved with the the early part of it so anyhow that's it yeah bill, okay bill do you ever have that problem when dodge gives you like a new car and they say don't break it and then you just stomp on it what happens in that in that world <laughs> they make them buy all the cars <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh really? i think is bill frozen i think bill's frozen or he's in oh, shock no. from your story i can't tell uh, I think, yeah, I think yeah we'll, we'll give him a sec to uh to 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 come back there but uh um one of the things uh we also wanted to touch on was uh chris is gonna work on bringing bringing bill back was you've got this uh you've got this new program and i didn't know what it was going to be i uh, you know uh your your team is fantastic cynthia she's like hey do you want to talk to bud he's doing a documentary on a delorean i was like yeah i'm pretty sure we had a guy in that that did a movie about that, but sure. Let's see. Let's see what what it is. Welcome back, Bill. <laughs> Sorry about that. Guys. Um, <laughs> we're talking about the the new show. We're talking about the. Uh, you can tell us what it is, but if it's a show, it's if it's a one off thing. It's not a series, right? This is a. Is it is it what? It's a one hour special on Discovery Plus. No, it's a it's a four hour. It's a four part special. Okay, four part special. Yeah, that's why I'm here. I didn't get to say hi to Bill. Hi, Bill. What's up, Budley? <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry, I was you know, rambling on so much at my box. No, I no reception in the boondocks. You know that. I know. It comes I was, and goes. I was it rambling on about my, my racing stories. I didn't get a chance to say hi to you and see what's going on. Um, All good. All right, so you've got this four-part series, but this isn't the history of DeLorean. This is what uh, – this isn't – you know, because there's – there's documentaries. There was the um, the reenactment documentary with Alec Baldwin, which was good. It was a great story. It was a great little film about the DeLorean. It was fun to chat with those guys who made that as well. But you're doing something different and having a little bit of fun with it. This is for Discovery Plus, right? Their streaming service. I believe March 15th it comes out. Uh, uh, so very, very soon you guys can bookmark this or uh, or uh, you know, find it on the on the streaming platform. But tell us what it is. So uh, I got to sit down 
Um, and then I learned, I, I learned so much about it, but, but I got to sit down with Christopher Lloyd, right? So Doc Brown. So, sure. and to me, he, to me, he's not Doc Brown. To me, he's Jim Nigatowski from, from Taxi, right? Yeah. So I'm sitting down, with, <laughs> I'm sitting down with a drunk reverend, right? I, I, I go, oh, I sit down with him and I'm like, we are working on some projects. Like what kind of projects you want to do with this amazing actor uh, who I, I've idolized and watched in TV for so, for so long. And he happened to be, you know, Doc Brown in one of the most science, you know, the, one of the most successful science fiction franchises in history. So I, I say, you know, let's, let's start, let's do, it really kind of started out. Let's track down all the really expensive DeLoreans, right? Let's find out where they're at and really how it evolved. And he was fascinated by what people do and they have him sign the car. And then it really kind of evolved into what happened to all the vehicles that were in the movie, right? Cause we all know that movie cars, uh, like it or not, are always very, uh, you know, sought after, have really good pedigree, right? So how many movie cars were there? What, how many did they use and where are they at, right? So that's kind of the started early on. Then <clears throat> when we sat down with Discovery Channel, they're like, okay, so this sounds like something for Josh Gates. I'm like, oh my God, that'd be great because Josh Gates on Expedition Unknown is, is phenomenal. So then it morphed into, and Discovery Channel is great about making, always pushing me to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're like, okay, so really what it turns out to be is a four-part series where Josh Gates and Christopher Lloyd um, are on a hunt to hunt down and buy, um, that's how it's kind of evolved, to hunt down and buy one of the screen-used DeLoreans to gift to Michael J. Fox for the foundation, right? Okay. And then we really, really kind of, you know, developed out of it, it was this, this thing called fan fiction, where we, we are just, do, we just ended up just bumping into every single person you could imagine along the way, you know, Goldie Wilson and then the creator, Bob Gale, and then we're finding these collectors and talking to these collectibles. And so this whole thing is morphed, is kind of morphed into uh kind of a fan paradise. We have Easter eggs and we got, you know, we had, we, had, we got Strickland. We had Strickland, the, the principal. He's in, he's in our thing. So these uh, he's things, in the trailer, by the way. I, so oh, that one God. we could give away. He's in yeah, the trailer. So, yeah. And, uh, and of course, as, as much as I loved him in that film, I always think of him as, as Top Gun. You know, I think of him as Top Gun as well. And he's great in that. Well, his name is James Tolkien, right? And what's weird is there's a, uh, and it's, 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 you know, life, you know, art imitates life all the time. So um, we, were, we were obviously hunting down uh, a bunch of people uh, to try to be in it. And then we're like, and this sounds terrible. You know, first of all, it's like, it's, Strickland can't be alive, right? I mean, was, <laughs> and the, the art imitated life is there's a, there's, a funny, there's a funny little thing in the movie. And I, I, I actually did a line for the movie uh, when I picked him up from the airport. So there's a line in the movie where Marty McFly <clears throat> um says, you know, he says, that guy ever aged? Did he ever have hair? Because he looks the same that he yeah. did in 1955 as he did in 1985. And when we picked up at the airport at 92 years old, he looked exactly the same he did, you know, 1985. Yeah. So you fast forward like 35 years, like, you look exactly the same as you did. It's like, well, yeah. And he is, he's 92. He was in New York. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I was hunting him down. Doesn't have his, his not even joking, everybody. So his publicist is dead. His agent is dead. His manager is dead. Right? I'm trying to hunt all these people down. And I finally got his number and I call him and I'm like, Hey James, this is what I'm doing. He's like, ah, okay. Yeah, that sounds fun. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And then, so we book <laughs> his flight and then he calls you back and says, Oh yeah. Am I getting paid for this? I'm like, <laughs> 
<laughs> which is why some of these guys like need need managers and agents. And I'm like, yes, of course you're getting paid. You're going to come do a scene, and it's going to be you're reprising your role. It's like, oh, that's great. And he gets on a plane <laughs> at 92 years old, dead set in the middle of the pandemic, which is the hardest thing that we've ever done. Got in the Universal, did his line, I, and just. It's those little surprise moments for us, even though, because it was really weird to film him for 30 minutes, put him back in the plane, take a nappy nap, and then send him away. Um, but it was amazing to be able to work with that guy. And, and you know, I traveled, I spent months and months with Christopher Lloyd and traveled around the United States with Christopher Lloyd. And that, ah, uh, that's just, it's just amazing. But that's an incredible feat, too. He's not a young man. Um, he's fantastic in the clips that I've seen, but you're right. You didn't, you didn't go to Christopher Lloyd and go, Hey, I've got this idea. Just come to a studio in Hollywood. We'll grab a green screen. We'll get you in and out in 48 hours, right? Like you can work three hours a day for four days. We'll make it super easy. You said, no, no, no. We got to travel all over the place. Yeah. So Christopher Lloyd's uh, 81 just turned. I was, I was with him on his 20, his uh, 82nd birthday in New York, sat down. It was me, Josh Gates and him have dinner, which is I'll never forget. It's one of those things like I had dinner with that guy. When, so he's 82 years old. And there was always in and uh, Bill knows me pretty well. Every hotel we went to, there was only two people in the gym, me and Chris Lloyd. Chris <laughs> was like, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, he's 82. He's I'm, that guy is awesome. He's awesome. And he's, he's, uh, you know, it's everything you want. He's just sitting there, you know, what is it? He would ask me a, a 10,000. I'd pick him up in the morning at the hotel. Cause I just, I just became personally responsible to make sure that I, I gathered him along with us. Yeah. And he would ask me questions about, you know, you know, the today's today's work, what are we doing? What's the scene look like? And, and, and it was always like, you gotta, you gotta kind of, you're playing yourself. You're not, it's not a character. You're not, you know, you're not, you're not playing Jibney the Towski. You're kind of playing a exacerbated version of yourself, which is, uh, you know, a, a, an older Hollywood star on the search to go back to your franchise. And it, once he got into who, who he was going to be, it was awesome. I mean, they're doing their character stuff. It was great. So, so explain the format to us on this. This is sort of like a, a, a kind of a scripted reality show. Like you, you really are looking for these, for the, for the cars and, and bits of the story, but you're not just walking around blindly doing this, right? Like this isn't a reality show for the sake of reality show. There's, there's kind of a scripted element. There's some fun elements. Um, you know, like you said, there's, there's props. It's, it's, I don't know, like almost reenactments, but that's probably not the right term. How would you explain it? Okay. So it's not scripted. So that's, that's terrible. You bite your tongue. You can't use scripted reality. <laughs> you know, we have outlines, like we're going to go, uh, we, you know, we have to take the audience on a journey, of course, right? Formatted reality. Yes, formatted reality. Matt, not scripted reality. I was gonna, I was gonna say formatted. It's like reality. saying wrestling's fake. Matt. That's a <laughs> wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, Matt. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, all right, so formatted have, reality. It's not we scripted. Have formatted reality. Um, we obviously have to, you know, figure out what we're doing and, and what we're what we have to do. And there's a lot of twists and turns in in in, in the show itself. But it's really a treasure hunt. Um, and again, I call it fan fiction because that's a term that I've learned. We're, we're trying to do a service to this iconic thing, right? And I, forgot, I left out the biggest thing. It was like, in order to even get this project off the ground, I had to go, you know, to a, a, a successful place or whatever, an interesting neighborhood in LA. I don't want to give up where he lives and meet with Bob Gale, the creator of Back to the Future and get his blessing. So I literally drove up to his gigantic house 
mm-hmm. um, if you can imagine. Rang the it was door. right next door to yours. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't live in my neighborhood. It's, it's, uh, it's over uh, off of PCH-ish. Um, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I ring, yeah, I wish he was next to me. It'd be great. It'd be much easier. So I rang the doorbell. Had a, I sat down with Bob Gale, the creator, and I kind of pitched him on what we're doing and what we're having. And I, obviously, I was teed up a little bit by uh, Christopher Lloyd. And Bob Gale's like, yeah, this sounds this sounds fun. And he was incredibly instrumental in everything that we're doing, right? And I was, uh, you know, very nervous because it's a large property. And he's like, I'm gonna let everybody know that I'm working with you on this and tell everybody. So he sends an email. I'm not joking. I have the email. He sends an email out to Steven Spielberg, Robert Zemeckis, the head of Universal franchise, like. This is Bud Brethman. Here's what we're doing. We're working on this project. I want to let you know this has happened. This has happened. And then I have to kind of go everything through that, those, those doors. But Bob Gale opened up every single door. Um, we were allowed to have fun with his characters and play with his characters some and kind of play with <laughs> his thing. And he's, he's uh, you know, I, I talked to him uh, this morning. He's, he's really into it. It's a good, it's a good fan service for what, what he did. Um, and it's amazing for what they did, too. Do you remember 11 minutes ago when you said you got a call from Ford and you thought that was the best day ever? <laughs> well, how about the email that goes out to Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg and, and half of uh, the Hollywood oh, yeah. executives going, hey, I'm working with Bud on this Back to the Future thing. You guys should all play ball. <laughs> Yeah, I doubt Spielberg or Zemeckis. Zemeckis who turned us down because I, I wanted to get Zemeckis in as a part, right? Like, hey, can you? And Spielberg turned us down too because he was too busy working on Forty uh, Second Street. I had a part for both of them. I wrote a part in there for both of them. Like, hey, you could do this part, and they're like, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> no we're not. We're not doing that. The rubber hits the road. Right yeah, they're like, no. I mean, I think it was like. Uh, the email I got back from Spielberg's people were, uh, he's spent two and a half years working on the live action movie for 42nd Street and he's not taking on any new projects. Okay, that's fine. I get it. But <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, like I said, it, Bob Gale was, Bob Gale is the 800 pound gorilla when it comes to this franchise. And he kind of allowed us to, you know, play in the world and working with franchise. And you'll see there's movie clips and behind the scenes clips. And, and you know, we might or we may or may not see Michael J. Fox, which I don't want to give up until we. Uh, I was looking for that in the trailer. I have a few other questions, but uh, uh, if you've got time to stick with this, um, I'm going to I'm going to hit this uh, this uh, read from our friends over at Dodge. You know, Dodge has officially opened the door, opened the orders for the new 2021 Durango SRT Hellcat. It's the most powerful SUV ever. I've looked up the numbers on this thing. Seven hundred and ten horsepower. That's being conservative if, uh, if they're running the same engine that's in Bill's truck. <laughs> I can tell you that for sure. Yes. Uh, this is a full-size SUV, a three-row SUV that does zero to 60 in three and a half seconds and runs like 1150s in the quarter mile. And uh, so exclusive for 2021, it has this new aggressive exterior styling, a new interior, and a driver-centric cockpit. It really looks good. You know, and all buyers will receive a full day of pro instruction at the Bondurant High Performance Driving School. We've all been there. It's been fantastic to do. Yeah, they so, call that the uh, Kevin Hart package, right? They yeah. They give you this gigantic <laughs> card. You got to make sure you know you, you can drive you gotta, it. Yeah, you got to know what you're doing over there. Uh, well, Bill went to the Bondurant School with Kevin Hart and all and a bunch of the guys. <laughs> and, and they, had a, they had a great time over there. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, Dodge is ranked number one in initial quality and best driver appeal by uh, appeal for mass market brands by J.D. Power. It's the first U.S. brand ever to be ranked number one in initial quality and appeal in the same year. So congratulations to those guys. So uh, check it out. Go to Dodge.com to schedule your test drive or visit your local Dodge dealer. Um, Okay, so how many how many DeLoreans were in the movie? 
we're in the, the I mean, there's a franchise, so I don't know where it goes from there, but uh, I guess we're really talking about the first film. How many were used in the first film? Were you And were you looking for one from the first film or just from the franchise? Well, the good part of the quest is the, the, the team of Josh and, <clears throat> and Chris don't really know which one they're looking for, and they think it's the one for the first film. So that's where we first land, we end up. So there were, a, there were seven screen-used DeLoreans for the franchise. Seven. So they, had to, they have to track down all seven. Okay. That's actually way less than I thought. You're talking about several films, and yes. I, I would have thought, I don't know, double that. You know, 14 of these things across three films. Right, but yeah, I guess they don't. It's not like Hooper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. Yeah. Well, you got to remember, and, and this movie wasn't supposed to go anywhere, right? So they, I think they had like two or three for the first film, and then they just literally the A car, um, which was now in a museum, but the A car was used for all three films, right? They didn't, they didn't have like forty of them. There wasn't that many stunts necessarily, as Bill just said. It's not like Hooper. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. I, I think they were a little conservative on like, hey, we need seven cars, especially with the how big the franchise was. But, the, you know, it was I, I, I've been talking to Bob a lot about it. like, you know, they they hated this film. They were going to change the name of the film. The very first one, they don't think they moved up the date. They're like, whatever, stupid time travel film. And you know, Spielberg <laughs> wants to do it. And this new director, Zemeckis and this guy, Bob Gale. And then all of a sudden it exploded. Yeah. But you're right. They should have had 40 of them, but they didn't. They didn't. But also the film's successful because they're, they're charming characters, right? Uh, Christopher Lloyd, Michael J. Fox, like they were all fantastic in it and had fun with it. So without giving away all of these seven cars, it seems there's a very famous story that, uh, that, um, uh, that Seth MacFarlane owns one of the original cars. And, and this story has come up very publicly, so hopefully not ruining anything with you, because when he did A Million Ways to Die in the West, there's a scene where he's in running and he opens a barn door and he sees Doc Brown with the car there and then he closes the door and that's it. It was like a little cameo. <laughs> and I was told that was Seth's car. Is there any truth to Seth having one of the seven? Uh, so it is true that Seth owns a time machine. Okay. Right? So Seth absolutely owns a time machine for sure. Um, but it is not one of the seven used cars. Yeah, he can't afford a real one. Well, no, he can afford anything he wants to buy. He can buy every one of them, right? <laughs> probably can buy. He can buy Back to the Future if he wanted to. Uh, no, and, that, and that's and that's what and Bill and I do this all the time. And that's where the provenance comes in. It really has doesn't have to do with the money. There's a lot of people who can own that certain vehicle is just being in the position where you're in the right place at the right time. And that, that vehicle pops up with provenance and you get it. So we, we kind of know who owns all of them. We kind of know where all of them are at, but that's definitely not one of them. I'm sure if a real one pops up, he'll buy it. Oh man. Are you going to, are you, are you going to go down a path now with discovering going, Hey, let's do this same show with a road warrior Maverick and let's do it. The same show with a, you know, with a gone in 60 seconds, uh, GT 500. Uh, let's go. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I talk, I talked to, uh, <laughs> the answer to that is yeah. Like, let's hope. Right. Well, uh, of course. I, Why wouldn't you? You're like, hey. I have been talking to a few people in gone in 60 seconds, uh, yep, about yep. the hunt for the Eleanor. I won't tell you which, which, star of the show i've been i've been dealing with right now um but yeah why not i mean there's such a um you know those cars right because there's all kinds of people like even on the eleanor there's a there's a million of them out there 
Um, and which one is the original? How many were Eleanor's were used? And, and, and by the way, where is the original Eleanor from the film? Right. Does, does Michael Bay own it or Michael Mann own it or who, whoever, you know, who owns the who owns the original? Right. But now you're also talking about authenticating the real cars. Right. Because there's so many reproductions and it's a cool car and whatever. And there's been all these licensing agreements and stuff. But when you go to find a real car, how do you how do you figure out? It's a some of them are going to be easy, but not all of them will be. You know, honestly, a, a hero car would be more difficult to identify than you know some of the stunt cars that have you know a terrible not engine really. and I just mean, suspension not, or whatever. You know, not really. I'll give you because they're the two most famous cars in the world. We'll do a test for you, Matt. Right um, <laughs> with the two most hero cars, the two most famous hero cars in the world. Right, one's a stunt car, one's a hero car. All right. And does everybody know the difference between a stunt car and a hero car? So the hero cars are usually the A car, which is called the pitcher car, which doesn't get slid in sideways, doesn't get jumped or anything like that. It's really just for all the beauty shots. You keep it really pretty. That's what the A car. The B car, the stunt car, generally gets just wadded up and destroyed and slid sideways and rolled downhill. So those cars are harder to find because they've been, they've been the shit beat out of them. So the two most famous ones, right, are 558 and 559. What am I referring to? Five five eight and five five nine. Um, right. uh, most famous car. I don't know. Oh, I'm 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 gonna say probably the most famous car would be uh, Bullet Mustangs. Yeah, right. from right. Bullet. So five, yeah. five, five five eight are the three last digit of the VIN number that Steve McQueen used. They just, by the way, disappeared for thirty or forty years, and they just found it last last January. Right. So that's five five eight. Now, five, that's the A car, the Steve McQueen driven A car. He drove both of them, by the way. But the A car, the pitcher car, the 558. And all of us who are collectors or, you know, even I, I, I have done this, I don't know, 60 times in my life, right? You roll up on a 68 Mustang. Some idiot's got it for sale for $2,000. And you say, pop the hood. And you look at it and you look at it. <laughs> and you're like, and if it's got a 558, you try to give him $3,000 cash and run away with it. Never yeah, found it. Exactly. Never, never happened. Never happened. So, but 559, the interesting story, and it's out in a route too, and I saw it recently, um, 559 was the stunt car um, that um, I believe Warner Brothers, I think it's Warner Brothers, that the stunt car that somebody at Warner Brothers said, okay, this is a stunt car for Bullet, get rid of it and crush it. So what happens is it gets handed off to person to person to person, and then some guy takes it and he's supposed to crush it and said he sells it to somebody in Mexico. So literally- <laughs> Five five nine, and I've been to Baja Mexico seven billion times, and I've raced through all these things, and I I have looked at chicken coops for and old, and I flew over in helicopters. And go, hey, there's a little car. So five five nine, one of the second most famous cars in the world, was found in Mexico. They were literally to <laughs> pull the stories together, literally bought by a, a Latin guy who owns a body shop. Him and his partner we're making Eleanor recreations and they were going to take this 1968 Eleanor or this 1968 Mustang, oh. turn it into an Eleanor recreation. They start working on it. And then they had this little tiny little devil pop into his shoulders, like check the VIN number. So he checks the VIN number and the VIN number says five, five, nine. So they, they send it off to Marty from Marty report and said, Hey, I got this 68 Mustang. We're we got halfway torn apart. It's got some really, and I saw it by the way, it's got some really funky stuff on it. Like, there's holes in the package tray for, for cables, and it's got interesting thing, armature underneath uh, the rocker panels to slide in camera equipment and stuff like that because I saw the whole car. And it's like, there's something weird about this car. 
Sure enough, Marty Report comes back. It's 559, and it's the second bullet car. It's like, what the hell? But, <laughs> but that's it. It's interesting. So the answer to your question is generally through purchasing orders and stuff like that, we knew um, in 1968 when they did bullet, we knew from the, from the purchasing order from uh, where, where they, got, they got transferred, Steve McQueen then had those two cars transferred to a, 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 a body shop in Hollywood. We had the back, the back tail panel blacked out and had some modifications done to it. All the badges pulled off it and kind of McQueened it. Um, we know what the VIN numbers are. Most of most people know what those VIN numbers. Those are purchased things. You just don't, you, you know, unless you create them from scratch, um, you can, you know what the, the base cars are. I'd like to do a smoking abandoned too. Before Bert died, I was talking about doing it. I would love to find out where, who has, I mean, because I have one. Bill has one. I mean, who doesn't have a bandit? Uh, well, you probably don't have one, Matt, do you? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I love it. Yeah, you see my bandit, but it's, uh, yeah. it, it is, mine's actually Bert's that we built for him 10 years ago, but it's not one for the movie. Right, right, right. I remember that car. I remember that car. So let me ask you this from the production side of things. These, the, the way these cars go down historically, like this is supposed to get crushed and this one's lost, this falls off a trailer and this one's broken to a million pieces and, and now we've got to go on this adventure and authenticate and find. Are we beyond that? Is that never going to happen again? Like, have we figured that out as we make new films? Like, we don't know if a film or, or a show is going to be successful or not. But, like, for example, like, hey, where's the, where's the, the red Subaru from Baby Driver, that film? Like, that film was a, was a, a sleeper hit. And we've gone on to talk to the stunt drivers and everything on that film. But... Is is that in a museum somewhere now? Does does the studio own that thing in a museum, or or are they still like, ah, eh, we screwed up three Subarus, just throw one in the garbage, and then maybe it just ends up in Mexico? Like we should know better, right? Well, I'll speak for Bill and I. I don't think, I think it's a little bit of both. I don't think anybody cares about that that particular Subaru. Not, <laughs> not, not yet. That's... We don't, but we don't know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> but but there's, there's, there's three guys out there that like it. Yeah. Yeah, there's B- Bucky Lassick and maybe Ken Block and maybe Travis Pastrana. I really want to find out where that Subaru is at, right? Otherwise, like, uh, uh, who cares? Um, but and no, Matt. yeah, yeah, and Matt, I I'll be honest with you. I'm working on uh, uh, I'm working on like I said, the Gone in sixty seconds one, which is a little bit older. But also, I want to work on one uh, for the Fast and the Furious franchise, right? So you start thinking about it, and it's weird how life is, right? So. The Fast and the Furious franchise, what happened to all the original cars in the first film? And you got to remember, they're way more iconic now because who would not want to see the skyline that Paul Walker was driving? Right. right? Or the Charger, right. uh, the Dodge Charger that Vin Diesel was driving. And where are those at? You really think they're sitting in the back lot of Universal? And if they are, by the way, which is where that, I mean, so it's, I'll give you a really example. Absolutely, I think that, you know, the, the studios and everybody understand. But if you've ever been on the tram ride, at Universal, it's for us. I weep, right? I cry because yeah. <laughs> they literally go past this like this grove of trees, what looks like a shitty bus stop, and there's like Magnum PI's car, there's Biff's car from Back to the Future, they're, and they're all just rotting. And they're they got a family of raccoons and maybe like <laughs> a couple snakes and a, some crickets and stuff like. That. They're living in these cars. You're like, you gotta be. And I know when I was, I went to I went to Universal Cities, you know, ten times, and I saw. The, the car from Back to the Future, the real one. That's where it sat. That car sat there. The original A car sat at that little, they're not inside. They're sitting outside. Like So it's it's hard. To, they just think it's a stupid prop. That's it. Honestly, it's a movie prop. That's it. They don't need it anymore. It's 
They don't need it. It's sitting there. They don't care. No. And what, what we know as car people is like, wait a minute, if I take that car, and by the way, someone did, right? So someone smarter than us four or five years ago, his name Joe Walzer. I mean, they, they actually already had this documentary. They did a documentary called Out of Time. Um, and somebody convinced Bob Gale and Universal, like, let us take that car. It is a piece of iconic history. It's rotting to death. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, a rat, a rat farm right now and restore it. And they took them two years and they fully restored it. And now that car is sitting in a museum and it's, and I'm telling you, I've been in it. I sat it. It's like, it's, it's, it's a Holy grail. The thing is like amazing looking. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that, you know, you, you have to have an appreciation for the automobile, first of all, and then you have to have appreciation for what that vehicle means and what it does for the, for the franchise in all the franchise. I, I, I'm a big Mustang fan. That's not a, really a secret, but I would uh, honestly love to find out where the original Eleanors are and how many they made. Yeah. And, and then we could hunt down the original charger. How much, let's talk about this. How much would Bill pay for the original Vin Diesel charger and gone in, in the uh, Fast and Furious franchise, the original one that did a pop the wheelie? Bill's building a garage. He doesn't have any money. <laughs> I'm not a Vin, I'm not a Vin Diesel fan. He's not a Vin Diesel fan. You can't have two big a Charger guys. fan, but I'm Charger. not a Vin Diesel. Fan. <laughs> all right, well, it would fumig- remind me of him. Yeah. We fumigate it and we take all the all yeah the yeah take that out, take now the out. Charger and Bullet. Oh yeah, where's yeah. that at? By the where's way? that? Actually, that's you know that's the holy grail for me. Yeah, that's sixty eight. That sixty eight uh, Bullet that has seventy five hubcaps. Where's that thing out? I've 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 talked to. It. Now here's the thing. I was doing a Bullet documentary. Um, trying to find hunt down all the cars. This is kind of how my brain works anyhow. Um, and there's allegedly a guy who says he has it. And there's a couple people who restore him every once in a while and pop up at shows and say, this is the original one, take a picture by it. But no one can verify it because that car was obviously twisted and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, where's that original one from Bullet? That's that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't understand the animosity between the Vin Diesel thing. So it just- No, it's not animosity. It's just I'm an old school guy and the, the original Bullet Charger is definitely the car. I that's mean, that's, that's a different yeah, that's different the generation. Yeah, for, uh, the appreciation for the Fast and Furious stuff. Yeah, and where's the Challenger from the Vanishing? You know, where where's that? Thing? Sure. Yeah, Mannix. Yeah. yeah. Where's it? What was it? A Dart? Uh, no, no, it was a child. The White Challenger. That's like a seventy. No, no, but oh. I'm talking about. Remember the TV show Mannix? Oh. oh yeah, you're right. He had a green Dart. Yeah, if I remember correctly. <laughs> And here's the thing is as they, as they get put, these things get put in and they just embed in our minds or they'll drag you in. I'm like, I want, I want Rockford's uh, firebird that he had. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, so yeah, I don't know if it's ever going to stop. And I, you know, I don't know if these, these iconic cars get thrown in these films and you, you, it stands out to guys like us and they mean something, you know, provenance is provenance. So anyhow, mm-hmm. you know, we go down there, but it was probably the biggest film franchise we could work on that has, I mean, you can't name another car other than maybe a bandit or something like that. But the DeLorean is so now, do you guys know the backstory? So the backstory, I'll tell you about this. This is very fun. It's going to, it's going to make fun of everybody, but that's okay. At least not Dodge or one of your big sponsors will make fun of Ford. So um, <laughs> I'll give up a little secret. It's not that big of a secret, but I'll give you a secret. So the, in the original first draft of the script, which I have, the time machine was a refrigerator and Doc Brown had to load the refrigerator in the back of an old Ford pickup. Right. And then he would get into it and he'd run a cable, not joking. This was the original. He'd run a cable out to White Sands, New Mexico, where they're testing nukes. And then he would be able to harness the nuke, the nuclear energy into his time machine. And that would send him back to time. Right. So as they're, as the studio is beating the crap out of him for budget and whatnot, as the story goes, 
Robert Zemeckis comes up and said, wouldn't it be better if Doc Brown built the time machine into a vehicle and then that way he can take it wherever he needs to go, right? So that became. Then at the time, and I talked to Bob Gale about this, like at the time, John DeLorean's car company was defunct. He was he was going through a huge trial, right, for the uh, the cocaine trafficking stuff. Yeah, so he, yeah. it was very popular. They literally, and I've done this before, they literally thought like, oh, we're going to get some good press out of this. I don't know what they're thinking. Like this guy's going to jail for, or uh, he, he, which by the way, he didn't. But this guy may be going to jail. It's a trial of the century. He built this really cool, iconic, stylish looking car. Let's make it a DeLorean. So they made this decision to make it a DeLorean. So now they're going into production. <clears throat> and Bill and I, we can commiserate on this kind of thing. They're going into production. They've got this, which turns out to be one of the greatest decisions in cinematic history, which is they're going to make the time machine out of a DeLorean, which is amazing. So they're, they're heading into it. So a knock comes on the door in production. And uh, in walks kind of the product placement guy from Universal Studios. And if you don't know the story, it's pretty funny. And I've, I've got a T-shirt that says it. So, uh, and Bob Gale, if you haven't met him, he's genius. So the, the product placement guy comes and says, hey, got a deal from you, right? There's a bunch of money in, in it, right? 1985, 1980, uh, 1984, sorry, 1984. There's a bunch of money in for it. Ford wants to turn, wants to give us money. And I'll give you some money for your production if the time machine is a Mustang. So okay. take the Screw the DeLorean. They're not even a car company anymore. They're not going to give us any money. And you're going to be prone to this stupid DeLorean car. And the guy's in jail and it doesn't look good. Ford's going to give you a 1984 Mustang. And that becomes a time machine. Bob Gale, it's a famous story. Bob Gale says, Doc Brown doesn't drive a fucking Mustang. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And the, and the guy, like he said, the guy's like tail between his legs, walks out the door and the deal never was made because Ford was trying to get into it. He's like, Doc, Doc Brown doesn't drive a fucking Mustang. He drives yeah. a DeLorean. He drives a DeLorean. Yeah. With a Ford engine. With a Ford <laughs> no. I don't know. No, 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 it's not. I think it's a Buick or something. Yeah, like, or a Fiat um, engine or something like that. It's a terrible. I, listen, and, and the, the line in the film when he's like, oh, the stainless steel body is, you know, is what we need for time travel. Like, it, it, it was good. It made sense. It was perfect. At the time. At the time. It yeah. worked out good. And it's space age. It's got the gullwing doors and it fits the, fits the comic book. I mean, just it's ridiculous. If you have a Ford Mustang that goes back to 1955, people are like, what the hell is that? Especially in 84. Yeah, but, but if they would have used the SVO Mustang with the four-cylinder and the and the double wing in the back and the hood scoop, and uh, it would have made, it, it, yeah. made, made it uh, iconic for sure. It would have made that iconic for sure. But then oh, sure. the wing would have been gone, and and you'd have to put the, the – the food processor in the front and because the engine's in the front and I don't know. Actually, I think the DeLorean ends up working better. I'm sure as they storyboarded it out, you're right, with the going doors and the engine in the back that it made the most sense. Not Um, a food processor. That's a coffee grinder. It's a coffee bean grinder. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, All right. So we're running out of time here, but uh, uh, March 15th on Discovery Plus, the streaming network. You guys check it out. Um, what's, What's the actual name of the program? So this, our program, our special or our series is called Expedition Back to the Future. Um, so it kind of combines the two big franchises, the Josh Gates' Expedition Unknown, and then we got permission to use the logo and everything from Back to the Future, which I couldn't believe, but we got to combine those two. So Expedition Back to the Future. All right, guys, check that out on Discovery+. Plus. Uh, before we wrap it up, what's, what's next? What's else, what else is on the docket? Oh, I have a, a new show I'm working on called Fully Torqued. Uh, yeah, uh, 
may have a couple big things going on with Bill, may not, and we got a lot, a lot of stuff happening. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just it's it's rebuilding the business and kind of the world is kind of opening up a little bit. Um, but hey, can I show, take you on a tour or something? You want to see something super cool before yeah. we go? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, it'll be it'll be kind of bitching. Hold on, gotta walk through the garage a little bit. Walk to the garage. There's the studio. There's the bandit, right? So yeah, the there bandit. it is. But I might, I might have one of these. <laughs> Look at that. He's Hold got on. a DeLorean time machine. Oh, you got to have, kind of have one of these. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, firing it up. Classic. Yeah, got to have one of these. Uh, yeah, you kind of get a little bit of addicted and you kind of want to, uh, you kind of want to own a time machine, I guess. So that's, uh, this is the, one of the ones from the show. So it's kind of cool. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, good luck with the show, Budley. Thanks for coming on. I, right. I, I appreciate it. Have fun with that car and, uh, and enjoy it. We're looking forward to it. March 15th, Discovery Plus. Uh, check it out. And uh, that's it. We're going to wrap things up here as well. So uh, give us a give us a follow. I'm on uh, social media at Motorator. You'll see some uh, some cool stuff we've been posting up there later this week. I think with Adam, we're going to talk about the uh, Toyota Supra, the 2.0, the four-cylinder Supra that I've been driving, which is surprisingly good. Um, and you can follow uh, Bill. He's Goldberg and uh, Goldberg Garage on Twitter. He's Goldberg95 and Goldberg's Garage on Instagram. Follow that. He's going to have some more stuff about uh, the projects he's working on posting very, very soon. I got a little sneak peek. That's all I'm going to tell you. And it looks fantastic. So uh, until next time, uh, keep the air and the spare in the bag and the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. Thanks so much for listening. A word from our friends at Geico. You own your home or you rent your home, and we know it can be a lot of work. But uh, you know what's easy? It's bundling your policies with Geico. As you know, Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. And that's a good thing because we already have so much to do around our homes already. Just go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com.